Listener Production. This is a Qantas flight attendant speaking out about the chaos that's unfolded at our airports. What started as, you know, a seven-hour day turned into an 11-hour day. You can appreciate how tiring that is for crew, but how frustrating that is for passengers as well. Yeah, you can actually hear how tired she is. Now, she didn't want us to reveal her identity, but she wanted to come on the briefing and explain what exactly is being going on over this dual Easter Anzac Day long weekend holiday period, which nearly broke our airports with those hectic queues, flight delays and lost baggage. We've got one company doing the security gates, one company doing the baggage handlers, one company pushing the airlines back, another company doing the catering, another company doing the cleaning. And when something goes wrong, it all comes down like a house of cards. Yeah, we'll get into the deeper problems at our airports and can they be fixed by the next holiday period. That is our briefing with Jan Fran in the second half of this podcast. First, Katrina Blouse and I will bring you the headlines. It is April 26. How are you doing, Katrina? I'm great. I feel like my cup is kind of full again. I went to a beautiful Anzac Dawn service yesterday morning in Brisbane City. It's the first time we've been able to hold big services like this since the pandemic began, really. Just seeing thousands and thousands of people. People started arriving at three in the morning so they could get their spots. It was just, it was such a moving day and I'm sure many people share that sense of relief that it kind of feels like we're getting back to normal again. Yeah, and people sort of really love those things that maybe we took for granted before the pandemic. And when you realise you can do them again, you you really embrace them. Absolutely. Well, the latest news poll shows Labor would win the election if it was held tomorrow. The two-party preferred count has Labor at a 53-47 margin over the coalition. Yeah, so pretty interesting that Labor's hanging on there in the two-party preferred despite the stumbles and missteps from Labor in the early stages of the campaign. There is some good news for the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. He's extended his lead over Albanese as a preferred Prime Minister. And both the Coalition and Labor have recovered some ground against the record levels of support for minor parties and independents. So this poll in today's Australian newspaper shows primary support for the Coalition lifting a point to 36%, while Labor sits at 37%. The PM was in Darwin at the weekend and was met with some protests. Sounds like about four people there. (laughs) (laughs) It was anti-fracking protesters, to be precise. (laughs) The Greens fell a point to 11% in the recent news poll, and Pauline Hanson's One Nation also fell a point to 3%. And national security is going to heat up even more as an election issue today. Labor is promising a stronger presence in the Pacific after the surprise deal between China and the Solomon Islands. Yes, yeah, so Penny Wong is expected to make the announcement today. It will include a defence school to train Pacific Island security forces, increased Australian broadcasting in the Pacific by the ABC. Not sure if those elements will have China shaking in their boots, but probably neither will this next bit. Yeah, yesterday the Prime Minister declared a red line that would be crossed if China built a military base in the Solomon Islands. I share the same red line that the United States has when it comes to these issues. Yeah, he didn't clarify exactly what our reaction would be if China crossed the red line. Maybe it would be similar to Obama's red line on Syrian use of chemical weapons where nothing happened. Yeah, pretty interesting use of of language there. Mm. Defence experts have already called it a hollow threat. 
And Elon Musk has done the deal to buy Twitter. The announcement has just been made this morning. Twitter's board has agreed to sell the social media giant to the world's richest man, for 61 billion US dollars. Yeah, how about this? This is going to mean that the public company will go private. Shareholders will get $54 per share, which is a whopping 38% premium on where the shares were at the start of the month when Musk's manoeuvring began. Elon Musk obviously has a lot of money to work with. He's putting up a huge sum of $21 billion of his own equity alongside $25 billion of debt financing. And a very interesting statement from Musk, Katrina. Yeah, he says uh, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I don't know, I reckon that's overstating it a little bit, Mm. Mr Musk. Uh, He also says, I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. He also says that Twitter has tremendous potential and uh, he looks forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. So a bit of a hint at what's ahead there. Mm. He's talked about stuff in the past like putting in an edit button Mm. so that, you know, if you have a few glasses of red and... uh, (laughs) Call someone a pedo. (laughs) Yes. Those regretful things that people do that you can go back in and edit it. Um, And also things like who is allowed to tweet. So whether Trump will be allowed back on, he said that he doesn't think people should be banned entirely, but be given time outs. Yeah, and interesting, a lot of his comments there are about the free speech culture of Twitter, but I wonder how he also earns back a return on this massive investment, whether he can turn it into a more profitable company. And where the heck is he finding all of this time to get involved in an entirely new venture? I would have thought that running Tesla and SpaceX would, uh, and also being a dad would be enough of uh, enough stuff on his plate, but clearly not. Russia has unleashed a series of attacks on Ukraine targeting at least five railway stations. Yeah, this comes as the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and high-ranking U.S. defense officials visit Kiev. Russia is failing. Ukraine is succeeding. That's Blinken addressing media overnight. Blinken and Pentagon chief Lloyd Austin entered Ukraine via Poland on Sunday. And they unveiled a new set of plans to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky at the presidential palace in a bid to weaken Russia. They're delivering new weapons within days. And extra funding too, around $975 million. Meanwhile, the UK says Russia has lost as many as 15,000 troops in the war. It is our assessment that approximately 15,000 Russian personnel have been killed during their offensive. Alongside the death toll or the equipment losses, over 2,000 armoured vehicles have been destroyed or captured. That's the British Defence Secretary Ben Wallace addressing the UK Parliament overnight. And French President Emmanuel Macron has pledged to reunite his country after a resounding win in the weekend's presidential election. Macron became the first president to be re-elected in 20 years after defeating far-right candidate Marine Le Pen 58 to 41. I am so proud of being able to serve once again. Long live the Republic. Long live France.
That's Macron addressing his supporters in front of the Eiffel Tower. But uh, perhaps it wasn't such a resounding win for him as it was just a, an indication that no one wanted Le Pen in because this was actually the lowest turnout for a presidential election since 1969. Le Pen was such a divisive figure, mm. even though she won more than 13 million votes on her platform of tax cuts and she also wanted to ban wearing the Muslim headscarf in public and she also wanted a referendum on immigration controls. Uh, it seems that um, the public of France just weren't ready for that yet. Or maybe never will be. All right, we're going to jump out. Jan Fran's about to join you as we look into what's been going wrong at our airports and how we can get it right. The airport and airlines are scrambling to find extra staff. A new day of chaos. Thousands once again taking to the sky for the long weekend. Attention please, we're working with our airlines to ensure you depart on time. Organised chaos I think is the best way to describe it. Organised chaos, you might have experienced it yourself. Hello, it's Jan here. If you were one of the tens of thousands of Aussies who decided to take a vacay during these past two long weekends, well, you might have noticed some very long queues. You might have even lost your luggage, had your flight cancelled or delayed. I can only imagine how frustrating that would have been. It's probably no surprise that airline staff haven't been having a great time either. Emma, that's not her real name, is a briefing listener. She's also a Qantas flight attendant who returned to work at the end of last year after being stood down for 18 months. She's with us now. Emma, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening to the briefing as well. You got in touch because you were embarrassed at the way that Qantas handled travel during the Easter long weekend. Tell us why. I guess it's because the crew had so been looking forward to coming back to work putting people together, reuniting people. We knew Easter was going to be big and it has been just embarrassing and disappointing that we coloured the Easter weekend by people not having their bags, not being able to get through security, not having appropriate care given, rolling delays and just really impacting people's ability to travel. Why do you think that's happened? Honestly, I think it is a bit of a miscalculation. I think that they have cut more staff than they actually could afford to lose. And I think that they've overreached and cut too many staff. Emma, we've all seen the images and the videos of frustrated flyers and travellers of these really long queues of people being really disappointed with airlines. Can you give us a sense, though, of what it was like working those shifts as a flight attendant. I mean, was the frustration felt on your side as well? Yes. Australians are a really good bunch. I've found them to be great travellers, very tolerant. But I just got a sense that it's not like they weren't expecting us. We were expecting them. So why couldn't we just deliver them to their places with their bags? That's just basic 101 of air travel. So I did get a sense of that frustration. I guess flight attendants are trained to be the face of Qantas. It's our face that we put to the brand. So I guess that's been the most frustrating thing is we take such pride in our work. If the other machinations aren't working, then it just becomes harder and harder for us to do our job. And so what kind of support do you think that you would need to be able to do your job well? More staff, 
working better with the unions around consultation and how to manage this better. We need more people. Did you work that Easter long weekend? Were you actually working? Uh, I worked the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday. The Thursday I did a trip and we were delayed an hour because where we were going didn't have a car park for us. But then, of course, when we, well, air park. (laughs) And then when we arrived into the city, there still wasn't a park. So we still had to wait another 40 minutes. Then what was supposed to be a seven-minute delay while the bags got unloaded and reloaded turned out to be a 45-minute delay. So people had come from London, people had come from everywhere, and they all missed their connecting flights and there was just no information about how to manage all of that and it just kept going and going and going. So it started as, you know, a seven-hour day turned into an 11-hour day. You can appreciate how tiring that is for crew but how frustrating that is for passengers as well. Okay, so if you had the head of Qantas in front of you or the boss of the unions in front of you, a group of people who you know could make decisions that could affect real positive change, what would you say to them? I would say cap the casualisation. Obviously, they are in a precarious situation where they don't know how well they're going to recover financially. Just a cap on the casualisation of their workforce so that the full-timers know exactly what's happening with their jobs. That would give their workforce a degree of certainty about our continuation as working there. I respect the automation of Aviation, I think that's been a great help. I think that customers still really value having someone there around check-in through the airports, somebody with a pink scarf on that they can approach, even just for the little questions, you know. It's reassuring for people to see us in our uniforms around, able to help them, available to them. That was Qantas flight attendant Emma. Let's go to Michael Kane. He is the National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union for a slightly bigger picture of what is going on here. Michael, we've seen these queues at airports right around the country. I know I've had a bunch of mates who've lost their luggage and had their flights cancelled. Why is this happening? Well, it is uh, chaos. And the reason for this is that we've got airport and aviation stretched uh, beyond any capacity it's ever seen before. And there's a reason for that. There's an underlying reason which is important to get our heads around. Um, There's been a lot of discussion, aviation and airline CEOs coming out and saying this is all the fault of COVID. Well, it's that old um, saying, uh, COVID here was the straw that broke the camel's back, but we've got to look at why the camel was loaded up so heavily. And there are two real reasons for that. The first is that during COVID, the start of the crisis, the rest of the economy got JobKeeper. But for some unknown reason, which is still mysterious, the federal government decided that it would deny paying JobKeeper to a whole range of aviation companies because their ultimate holding company was in another country. Now, what that meant was that these companies that engage the security workers, we saw all those lines at security gates, those that do the catering, we saw planes taking off without catering, baggage handlers, the cleaners, those companies didn't get JobKeeper, so they let go hundreds and hundreds of workers. And what that meant was when we came to deal with this Easter rush coming out of COVID, we simply didn't have enough workers. So we've got to look at the systemic reasons Uh, That's one of them. And the other one, of course, is this push towards insecure work with companies, especially Qantas, outsourcing slabs of their work to different companies and it just doesn't work. Is what you're saying that essentially the aviation companies 
in this case you've put particular emphasis on Qantas, they just simply weren't prepared. Is it as simple as that? They weren't prepared and the reason they weren't prepared is because of the business decisions they've made over a number of years. Um, Qantas, for example, last year was found by the federal court to have illegally sacked 2,000 of the ground workers that would have been so valuable dealing with the peaks that we've just seen over the last uh, couple of weeks. They made that decision because they wanted to get cheaper outcomes. They wanted companies to do the work cheaper uh, than the workers that they directly engage. And the problem with that, of course, is that we've now got across the airport dozens and dozens of companies doing separate functions. So we've got one company doing the security gates, one company doing the baggage handlers, one company pushing the airlines back, another company doing the catering, another company doing the cleaning. And when something goes wrong, it all comes down like a house of cards. And that's what's happened with Qantas. We know last week in Sydney, there were 3,500 bags at one point that were just sitting there and there was not the workers to disperse them and they had to send the passengers home and send their bags to them later. I mean, this is a system that's just come crashing down because of poor decision-making and it goes to that key question. If you have insecure work, if you don't engage workers directly, if you don't give them a career path and make sure they're connected with your company, then ultimately that worker and their family will hurt and the whole system will hurt. Michael, you're painting a fairly complicated picture that has taken years to get to where it is now. What is the best way forward from this moment onwards? What should an aviation company like Qantas be doing now to ensure that when we get to, say, Christmas, this doesn't happen again? I think what's needed really is an entire airport and aviation strategy by the federal government. We can't have a situation where companies who are private companies get to decide how aviation is run because what happens then is that when times are good, when times are booming, those companies will say, take your hands off our profits and let us run the business as we need to. And when times are bad, like they have been during COVID, those very same companies will go to federal government cap in hand for funding and support. Now, that's not a good approach, that boom or bust approach for the economy, because this is critical infrastructure. So what we say is needed is an independent body. We think something like a safe and secure skies commission that would have the power to look at what is necessary to make sure that this critical infrastructure in aviation operates in a smooth way and doesn't get taken in by the troughs and the peaks. Because one thing we know about aviation for sure, we don't know when a crisis will hit, but we do know that another crisis will hit. And mm -hmm. we've got to be ready to smooth out those troughs and peaks and make sure that decisions are made in the interest of the flying public and workers and not just for the profit and the bottom line of airlines and aviation companies. Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union there, and he paints a picture that seems to predate COVID and a solution that doesn't seem as simple as just hire more staff. Let's just hope that they sort it out before the next long weekend where people are going to want to go and see their families, hopefully with their luggage in tow. Listener.